Hi, I'm Jason, the creator of The Grey Rooms. Thank you so very much for all of your support this season. We are so very grateful for all of your reviews and comments you have been leaving. Those really help us a ton, and we really appreciate it. Seriously. We are over halfway through with our second season, and you know we're all truly enjoying this adventure that we get to share with each of you every single day. And we wanted to take this time to thank our patrons for their support. And because of that support, we get to grow and evolve. Patrons such as Kelly Bear, Kelly Fenner, Sergio Saucedo, Amy Nikolai, Arthur Unk, Ashley Enstrom, Austin Furman, Brooks Bigley, Elizabeth Dowell, Isabel Diedrichs, Jason Porras, Kathleen Clyde, Michael Velez, and Patrick Stewart. Thank you again so very much for your support. Without it, we would not be growing as we are currently. And we have big plans in the future thanks to your support. If you would like to consider being a patron, please check us out at patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms and find the tier that's right for you. We are also on all other social media platforms, platforms such as Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Check us out. You can also stream the gray rooms for free on Spotify today just by simply searching the gray rooms in the search bar. We're also available on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, and any other podcast player available. But don't forget to leave a five-star rating and a review. Thank you. And now, on to the episode. You awake. The elevator is small and cramped. There is a strange old man. He's mumbling. You hear a ding, and he forces you out. You're lost. You have no memory of this place. How did you get here? Where are you? It doesn't matter. Because now, you belong to the Grey Rooms. Season 2, Episode 7. The day was beautiful to the point of being magical. The preacher spoke. Christy? Christy. My grandmother wasn't a pleasant person. Um, don't know coffins move like they used to. My muscles are good company. But I still felt lonely. I looked around for the taxidermist, taxidermist. but he must have still been in his office. 
Sir Anthony Hedgehog I, king of all you survey. I was lonely, true. But the thought of putting myself online in search of love made me feel a bit dirty and sick. As it turned out, the graveside service was to be in the cemetery close to my house. I will be heartbroken if I don't meet Sir Anthony. I think you may be it for me. And then flipped over to the obituaries. Until it was time to go and pick up our son. Up our son. We'll call the page The Hedgehog Family. I placed my hand over his, and together we clicked publish and waited. The Hedgehog Family. The first response came within five minutes. minutes. You sick freak. Freak. Stay right there, Miss Christie. Someone will be over soon to see about you. They will discuss my physical strength. My physical strength. And how it allowed me to do the unthinkable on a daily basis for a year. They'll think they have found what's left of a lonely, sick woman. Her violated, desecrated victims and a stuffed and mounted hedgehog. hedgehog. Filched last year from a taxidermist. That's what they will think. That's what they will think. And they'll be wrong. Sick freak? Am I right? Yes, but she deserved happiness. I wish... I just wish she'd found it another way. Oh sure, that'd be grand. The bright rooms where everything is lovely and rainbows are brilliantly shown in the sky every day. You should paint that with lots of little happy trees. I used to watch Bob Ross with my grandfather before he died. We used to watch a lot of TV together when I was little. Old shows, westerns, detective dramas. I loved him so much. That's, that's the kind of thing that Christy needed. She just needed love. And this could have been avoided. All that pain. You realize you ruined how I was making fun of you, right? It was funny, I was, it was joyous. And you just start talking about your dead grandpapa, whoever Christy is, honestly, Samantha. How do you even live? Christy was the woman. She was me in that house. It could have all been avoided. This whole thing didn't have to happen. Oh, God. Please, 
tell me you're not going to feel personally responsible for each and every torment these people endure. This is why I started banging plastic women. Sonny, look what this shit has done to you, Samantha. What am I supposed to do? Just grin and bear it? I can't, Todd. I can't. It's driving me crazy. We have to get out of here. There you go again. Mine for the crazy ideas and you try to drag me along with you. I'm in an elevator, Samantha. Now why don't you run along and cry in the hotel or something? What do you mean you're in an elevator, Todd? Just step out! I can't. Look, I'll see you when you pick your room. Now get out of here. Todd, I'm sorry. I didn't know. No offense taken. But seriously, could you get out? I have to go back up. Todd's just as trapped as I am. I thought he was working for them, but he's clearly suffering, like me. And he's not the only one. I'm gonna go visit Jake. I haven't been to that bar in a while. What'll it be, doll? Seriously? <laughs> Sorry, Samantha. Just trying to play up the role, you know? The role? What? Of a bartender? Yeah. Like in the old movies. Quiet guy with a fedora, placing a cigarette into his mouth. Contemplating whether he'll solve the case, save the dame. You know, the classics. Why can't dames save themselves? Because they're... Yeah, all right, fine. You're right. They can probably save themselves. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do, you know? I'm going to find a way out to rescue you and Todd. Get us all out of this shithole. You want a beer? I mean, every good heroine needs to drink like a real badass. You know, Jake, that beer you keep trying to give me is probably made by them. Who knows what's in that garbage? That's cynical. Probably true. <sighs> so you think you can get us out, huh? How's that gonna work? I don't know. But I'm discovering things. They control the hotel rooms, so somehow I have to do something with the rooms. They're always watching them. They know what kind of things I end up doing. And get this! Bob was playing a cassette tape. I overheard it, and it was something that happened to me. Before. But it wasn't anything I remember, so that means... It means I've been here and been subjected to things I don't remember. I need to figure it out. But... I think that's it. I need to remember what happened to me, and... I need to take control of my hotel experience somehow. What? I need to make my stand in the rooms. Well, that sounds good for you, Sam, but 
I don't think I'm going to be getting out of what I'm stuck doing every day. Or Todd. He's in that elevator, but I'll figure out something. Anyway, I guess I better get out of here. Thanks for the beer. You won't take one. Yeah, but you still offered. That was nice of you. I just hope it's not slowly killing you or anything. You know, the more we talk, I swear I've known you from somewhere. Yeah? That's weird. I was an artist. Was in a gallery. Maybe you liked art. Maybe you were my biggest fan. <laughs> uh, no. I don't think that was it. I can't see me stepping into one of those buildings. It'd be like a horror story. Ouch! Yeah, well, I wouldn't want you for a fan anyway. <laughs> anyway, have fun listening to your jazz while drinking your deadly beer. Hello, Bob. How's my creepy-faced oppressor doing? Hello, Miss Winters. Ready to pick your room? Only if you have some good ones for me. Well, let's find out, shall we? Alright. One story is about a train ride. The other is about a cheerleader. You know, I'm starting to question whether you do this to get into my head. Oh. You know I wouldn't pick the cheerleader one. You can have whatever room you choose. If you always secretly wanted to be a cheerleader, but were afraid when you were young, it would now be your chance. Ah, <sighs> she's probably a slut. Is she a slutty cheerleader, Bob? Does she get chased around her house by a psychopath? Oh... Does she go up the stairs? I'm not answering your questions. I just gave you a choice. Train or cheerleader. I want the train. But I want you to know that cheerleader is offended by the horrible destiny that was intended for her. Train it is. If you would please sign your name under room 1999, it's called... The Greyfriars Transcript. Alright. I guess I get to have a nice little trip on the choo-choo. One other thing. The elevator is broken. What? What do you mean the elevator's broken? Just as it sounds. Todd cannot come down. You're going to have to take the stairs. I didn't even know there were stairs. Neither did I. The hotel is a strange place. Here is your key. Stairs are over there. Quite a bit of a walk. We'll get the elevator fixed, hopefully by the time you come back. Have a nice stay, Miss Winters. Bob, I listened to your damn haiku. You could do me better than that. Can't I just wait for the elevator to be fixed? No, I'm afraid not. Now, up you go. And if you beat the old record, I'll give you a reward. What would you like? A cookie? A way out. Well, if you pick the right room, I won't have to. 
Have a good night. <sighs> this is ridiculous. Room 1999. So that would mean the 19th floor? I have to walk up 19 floors. This is insane. They heard me talking to Todd and decided to shut down his elevator. Oh, that Bob. He's a freaking lunatic. Great. Now the stairs look all old and battered. These probably haven't been used in years. I should just go downstairs and tell Bob to... Push the goddamn button. So I am. Good night, bitch. You clean it. You can pet like it's a little puppy. 
and then I'll beat you with it. Imagine that. Having the shit kicked out of you by your own fucking foot. <laughs> I think, oh please, please, please be it, please. are open. Except one. And I bet that's mine since I have the key. Okay, Sam. You just have to step past all these other rooms. There's no reason to get curious. There's no reason to look. Don't, Samantha. Don't do it. You know it's going to be bad. Stop your legs. Don't go into that other room. Stop it. Stop! I can feel the head. Keep pushing, Erica. Push! God. I know it's been difficult, but the baby is oh, almost God. there. Oh, God. I did not want to see that. I'm so tense. Oh, so loud. A woman keeps screaming. We're holding her legs up and... Oh, man, this lady's pissed. Look, lady, I'm pissed too. This is disgusting and private and I don't want to be here. Jesus Christ! We need an episiotomy to help the baby along. Why the hell does he have a scalpel? Oh, God damn it. Why? Why? I'm looking at the other nurse and she's just acting like this is all normal? This isn't normal? Oh. I'm going to be sick. Keep going, Erica. Don't give up. It's almost out. The head's out. Okay, Erica, now one second. I need to clear out its airways. I'm closing my eyes. I can't look at this anymore. I just can't look. Why did I go into this room? Why? My goodness, Erica, this is a big baby. She really looks like her mom. Why the hell is she screaming so much? This doesn't seem right. She's fighting to escape the bed. The other nurse and I are holding her down. What the? She just gave birth to herself? What the hell? Oh my god, no, 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 no! Oh, what is it? What is it? Oh. 
Don't leave me. Please don't leave me. Don't go. Don't go, please. pitch black when my alarm buzzed at 4am. I was already awake having slept poorly. I reluctantly emerged from my warm sheets to get ready and leave the house. I'd been dreading the day. A long trip to Scotland where I would spend two days fitting workstations and service. It weighed heavily on my mind as I walked up the hill to Manchester Piccadilly in the icy drizzle. A bakery opened its shutters as I approached, and I stopped to pick up breakfast. I was a little early, but persuaded the old guy behind the counter to make me a bacon sandwich and a coffee. Tattoos enveloped his sinewy arms, and flour dusted his hands from the morning preparations. I considered, with wonder, what time he rose for work, and if he found it as difficult as I did. You'll be getting the first train to Greyfriars, then? He asked. Yes, that's the one. He washed his hands, 
unbundled two rashes of bacon from greaseproof paper and laid them on a hot plate where they hissed and spat. It smelled wonderful. At the risk of sounding superstitious, be careful, lad. What do you mean? He looked at me for a long moment, and then his eyes dropped to the grill. A toothpick hung from the corner of his mouth and marched across his lips as he spoke. I think Thatcher was Prime Minister the year of the tragedy. The couple returned to Scotland from Wales, where they'd been on their honeymoon. They'd been taken for just a month. It was a very hush-hush affair. The bride's ex-husband was a jealous and obsessive man, and this was a concern. As their train passed through the Lake District, a Ford Escort parked on a level crossing just before Penrith, and the driver applied the handbrake. The ex had broken into the bride's house and found letters detailing the planned nuptials. He decided if he couldn't have her, no one could. You understand? The train driver applied the anchors, but too late. The engine ploughed into the car doing 60, derailed and rolled down an embankment, killing everyone on board. The ex-husband died on impact. It was too good for him, if you ask me. He buttered two slices of bread and handed the bacon. Red or brown sauce? Uh, neither, thanks. They say the Greyfriars route is cursed. They built the station over a corner of the old kirkyard. Occasionally someone boards, but never gets off. <laughs> I chuckled. The old guy didn't reciprocate. There followed an awkward silence as he waved me up with his small, grey eyes. The expression on his face worried me. He was dead serious. The old man cut the sandwich in half and dropped it in a paper bag and handed it to me. Just two pounds, that lad. I leaned against the brick wall of the platform 14 with the hood of my coat raised and warmed my hands with the coffee. The drizzle had become a deluge, bouncing the eye off the concrete. There were no other commuters, I was alone. A speaker crackled above my head and announced the train was delayed by 13 minutes due to a fatality on the line. The station lights cast long shadows, which pointed accusingly at the track. My mind turned to an incident I'd witnessed 15 years ago. I was just 17 years old and waiting to travel to college when the young woman brushed by me on the platform. She had the strangest smile on her face and I, I thought she were in love. I understood her intentions far too late. Without breaking stride, she stepped out into the path of an oncoming express engine. And there was a dull thud. Someone screamed, but it seemed to come from miles away. I touched my cheek and my fingers came away wet and red. I hadn't been on a train since. Headlights. 
and the echo of shunting carriages roused me from memory. The engine appeared from the darkness like a snub-nosed serpent, bringing with it the bitter odour of diesel. Dead bugs littered the windscreen and the driver was an indistinct shape behind the tinted glass. A faintly illuminated sign read Grey Friars. The carriages were rusty, where patches of paint had peeled away and what paint but remained was weather bleached and faded. It took a moment to register the doors weren't automatic, and as I twisted and pulled the handle it creaked ominously. For the longest moment, I looked up and down the platform as the rain continued to fall, and took a deep breath, and stepped inside. My eyes took a moment to adjust to the dim interior. The carriage was empty. Dust floated lazily about the strip lights, and there was an odour of stale tobacco. An aisle extended to my left and right, bookended by two doors. The walls, once grey, had been dyed beige by the passage of time, and scratches crisscrossed the plastic surfaces. Welcome to hell was graffitied across one of the windows. I picked a seat at random and sat as the whistle shrieked outside. The wheels juddered into motion, and Platform 4 slid from view. Past the time listening to your show, and browsing through episodes saved on my iPhone. The familiarity of technology was comforting, and I kept an eye on the gradually declining battery life with a sense of growing dread. Your stories became my anchor to reality in that oddly lonely place, and I worried I might somehow be cut adrift should they fall silent. A door creaked open, startling me. The conductor entered from a neighbouring carriage dressed in a neatly pressed uniform. An old-fashioned ticket machine hung across his shoulder and bumped rhythmically against his hip. Tickets? I paused the podcast and retrieved my wallet. Return to Edinburgh. Greyfriars, please. Leaning over the ticket dispenser, he jabbed buttons with a long finger. The machine chattered and rattled as cogs and wheels rotated within. His face, clean-shaven and as pale as porcelain, was a picture of officious concentration. A crescent of shadow fell from his cap and across his eyes. One way only. I thumbed through the notes in my wallet. A single then. I figured I could always get another single on my way back. The conductor turned the handle and the ticket machine emitted a clockwork tick. The plate on the front was brass, and a ticket lolled from the slot like a papery tongue. 
Five pounds exactly. I handed him the money, mildly disgusted by the thin layer of dirt under his fingernails. He turned the note this way and that, examining it long enough to make me uncomfortable, before it vanished into his pocket. He tore the ticket along its perforated edge, leaned forward, and handed it to me. Thank you, sir. His breath was sweet and unpleasant, conjuring images of compost heap and blocked drains. Despite his initially neat appearance, there were patches of dust on his suit and his sleeves were frayed. As he straightened, I caught a glimpse of dull eyes above a sunken nose. Couldn't decide if he was partially sighted or had cataracts, but there was something odd about the way he stared stiffly ahead. Then he moved on, rewinding the crank. As he made his exit through the opposite door, something small fell onto the carpet. I scanned the area, assuming he'd dropped a penny. Instead, I spotted a small, fat maggot. Suppressing revulsion, I brought a boot down on the creature. Wincing as it made an audible pop, I resumed the podcast. Contemplating where something had died in the air vents, a rodent perhaps. I checked for the telltale wriggle of maggots in the lines of the grill, but saw none. Preston gave way to the Lake District, where a crescent moon illuminated the rain-drenched moorland, and I resumed your podcast. One of your listeners read a story about a man hanging in the bathroom of their hotel room, and I turned up the volume. Fingering the antique ticket, I thought I might have willingly traded places with her. My stomach growled and pushing revulsion of the maggot to the back of my mind, I contemplated the bacon sandwich. It would be cold by now, but it was going to be a very long day, and I thought I'd better eat. I reached into the paper bag and raised the sandwich to my lips, but before I took a bite, something caught my attention. Mould grew across the crust like the pelt of a dead animal. I parted the slices and found the bacon speckled in shades of green and blue. A beetle with a shiny black carapace scuttled from between two rashes of meat, probing the bread eagerly with twitching antennae. Bile sludged up the back of my throat. I launched the sandwich at a nearby bin, followed quickly by the coffee. I'd seen the old man prepare my breakfast, watched as he grilled the bacon and felt the warmth of the bread as I took the bag didn't make sense. I sank back in my seat and closed my eyes tightly, breathing deeply until the nausea subsided. The rhythm of the carriage made my eyelids heavy, and the voices of the podcast faded till I barely noticed them. Soon, I entered the welcoming and warm embrace of sleep. The train slowed to a halt, and chilly air briefly lapped my neck as the carriage doors opened and closed. 
I open my eyes to see a stone building with a grey tile roof. Groggily, I checked for a station sign but saw none. Travellers entered, vague shapes reflected in the glass, searching for a place to rest their bones. I was too lethargic and comfortable to turn and look. Instead, I rested my head against the frame of the window and dozed. Carriage felt like it was full, but was strangely silent. Only the occasional springing creak of bodies moving in their seats betrayed the fact that anyone was there at all. A shadow briefly blocked the light, and someone slid into the aisle seat beside me, accompanied by the fusty odour of damp clothes. Great. I thought, wasn't this always the way? Two hours travel sat next to someone with hygiene issues. I supposed it wasn't important, though I closed my eyes and allowed the reassuring voices of the podcast to lull me back to sleep. Mossy stones sprouted from the ground of Greyfire's kirkyard like rows of old teeth. A deformed shape stood above them all, elevated by a mound of freshly exhumed soil. I shouldn't have been buried here, he said. We should have been together forever. His torso was torn from his left shoulder all the way down to his stomach, and his arm peeled away like a whittled splinter of wood. Dots and dashes of ribs protruded from the dark meat of his wound, jagged and broken. His bloody fingertips hung low enough to brush snowdrops, which sprung from the unkempt grass. She said her heart belonged to another. His glassy eyes rolled to the clouds, gathering conspiratorially above, and a grin spread across his pallid features. A bunch of car keys dropped into view. The fob looped and hung around the index finger of his good hand. <laughs> I made sure I didn't last. My world exploded. crumpled in flinkering shades of orange and black, spinning like a broken record. Bodies tossed about like ragdolls, shredded from splinters of glass. The screams were deafening. A second explosion, metal buckled and groaned. A wall of fire shrieked up the aisle, incinerating men, women and children hungry to consume all before it. I woke with a start. Through the window, the Scottish borders looked different in the twilight. Hills were purple and triumphant above a glossy lake, but the colours were wrong, less vivid, faded. A crow perched atop a fence post, 
turning to watch as the train traced a line across the landscape. Haunted by the visions from my dream, I sat up straight and rolled my stiff neck. In my periphery, I saw loose trousers draped over bony knees, smelled damp. The owner of both turned, his head swivelling mechanically, and his eyes bored into my temple. I prayed he wasn't intoxicated, or even high. A wisp of white lace caught my attention between the seats in front. A woman held the hand of a suited man. It was unusually formal attire for the average train journey, and as I watched they snuggled closer together. Outside the crow had taken flight and flew in tandem with the train. Other crows joined it as we cut across the muted landscape, becoming a dense murder of oily bodies. They seem interested in the train or its passengers, turning to investigate the windows. I blinked, not comprehending what I was seeing. They sense tragedy. A wet voice burbled at my shoulder, breath acrid and rotten. The accent was distinctly Scottish. Pausing the podcast, I turned to face my companion, expecting greasy hair and crooked teeth. My discovery was much worse. His skin was yellow and streaked with dark blue veins. It stretched tightly over his skull and pulled at his lips, which receded about the gums. His eyes bulged in their sockets, and thin wisps of black hair fell from his head and onto his shoulders. You're... you're... you're dead, I said, stupefied. He cackled like a lunatic. A bloated tongue squirmed on the floor of his mouth. In the grip of disbelief, my eyes descended to a faded photograph's pinned to his lapels. A woman, perhaps a wife, a girl, perhaps a daughter. Memories. We cannot rest, he said, as a viscous fluid ran out his mouth and down his chin. We are doomed to repeat our final steps. He produced a packet of cigarettes from his pocket, flipped the lid and held it in my direction. The box was vaguely familiar. It came from a time before health warnings and pictures of blackened lungs. More laughter. His shoulders shook, and globules of the liquid dripped down his tie. Goose flesh blossomed on the back of my arm. Outside, a handful of crows cawed excitedly. Panic flooded the banks of my sanity. I had to get out of there. I stood and pushed my way out into the aisle. My legs struck the corner of an armrest, and I tumbled painfully onto my backside. The heads of mute phantoms turned to face me. The couple from the seats in front were amongst them, and with dawning horror, I realised who they were. The bride's flesh was a paper-thin sheet over her ribcage, and her husband's left eye hung loosely from a tendril of sinew. A look of mild embarrassment formed on his face, and he replaced it. Bluish-grey clouds gathered in the roof space, spiralling from those who were smoking. It was a snapshot from a different time. Knee romantics and mods, mullets and garish neons. Punk with a green Mohican sucked on a joint, white mist spilling from three deep gashes in his chest. 
One of them rose mechanically from his seat, advancing with a limp. He wore faded khakis, the material of one chino leg flapping like a torn flag above a rusting metal pole. Another, from an opposite row, followed, blindly feeling his way along the aisle. His face was severely disfigured and burned, his eye sockets filled with what appeared to be bloody balls of cotton wool. I scrambled backwards, distancing myself from them, but there was nowhere to go. Standing one by one, they converged. My Scottish companion pulled a book of matches from a trouser pocket and lit a cigarette, observing with malevolent interest. I'm afraid you're one of us now, laddie. Riding the Greyfriars train is a bit like exposure to carbon monoxide. Before you know it, you've succumbed. Make no mistake, you're with us now. The quicker you accept it, the easier it will be, he said. Putrid maggoty faces circled above, drowning out the light. Bony hands dug into my shoulders, arms and hair. They pulled out my earbuds and discarded them. I shouted like a madman, hoping someone, anyone would hear. I screamed until my voice cracked and I could taste blood. I thrashed and kicked out. But it was useless. We passed into a tunnel and one of them grabbed my hair, turning me to face my reflection in the blackened window. My waxen face stared back. A memento mori image of what I had once been. It was the face of the newly dead. Next stop, Greyfriars Kirkyard. The dusty speakers belched, and my world faded to white. Please. <laughs> 
Great Friars Transcript, written by Gary Buller, performed by Alastair Mackey as the train passenger, Graham Rowett as the counter chef, the ticket taker, and the voice over the speaker. Good job, Graham. Way to <laughs> be everything. And Headley Knight as the ex-husband. The Samantha Winters episode was written by Brian Black and performed by Sarah Thomas as Samantha Winters, Graham Rowett as Bob and the Doctor, Alastair Mackey as Todd, Aaron Lillis as Erica, the birthing mother. God, that was a terrible scene. Mark Whitten as Jake Stone. And me, Jason Wilson, as the Warden. Musical composition by J.M. Scherf. Artwork and creative direction by Cassie Pertit. Social media and Patreon support by Brooks Bigley. Audio engineering and sound design was by me, Jason Wilson. And join me in welcoming the newest member to our team, the head of videography, Hale Scherf. Thank you for spending the evening with all of us here at the Gray Rooms. We are overjoyed to have been honored with your presence. We also would like to thank those who have been leaving us five-star reviews and delightful comments. This really has helped us in many ways. Thank you. Really, thank you. And to our patrons. Well, what can I say? Without your support, we wouldn't be able to be a podcast that can pay its talent. And we are able to continue to invest in our product and grow in ways that serve your dark desires in as many ways as possible. If you would like to join our Patreon, please head to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms and find the right tier for you. We would love for you to join us. And with the addition of Hale Scherf, yes, related to JM, we now are offering video clips and behind the scenes featurettes for our patrons to enjoy. We have also begun production of our first ever Bane patron production. The acting was done entirely by our patrons. Well, minus one part, yours truly. And this will be released to the public in the coming weeks. We try to constantly grow and learn how to better provide for you and to make it a valuable investment into the gray rooms. So thank you. We would also like to mention our PayPal link and TeePublic link in the show notes. Please utilize those to make one-time donation to the podcast and to get your gray room swag. We are humbled every day by all of you and truly enjoy creating this. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and our very own Discord channel. But thank you again so very much for your support, and we will see you in two weeks. <laughs>